Hello and welcome to the week 15 edition of Flight Deck, an inside look at the New York Jets. I'm your host, Rich Samini. I cover the Jets for ESPN. We have a lot to talk about this week. In the second quarter, we'll talk to rookie cornerback Bless Austin, the pride of Rutgers and one of the pleasant surprises for the Jets. Third quarter, we'll get to the Twitter questions. And in the fourth quarter, I'm going to break down the Jets' top free agents to be, how much they'll command. And we're also going to take a look at the feasibility of the Jets perhaps trading for one Odell Beckham Jr. For now, we're going to look at the big picture. So, yes, the Jets steal a game from Miami, but they were eliminated anyway, which is hardly a shocker when you're 5-8. and eight. This makes nine straight years out of the playoffs and nine years in a row in the free agency era is just really inexcusable. It's the second longest drought in franchise history. They went 11 straight from 1970 to 1980. It's like the entire decade didn't exist. But, uh, you know, then they didn't have free agency. Now they do. And there's and there's no excuse for it. But this, of course, just didn't happen right now. It's been oncoming. So we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on it. We're going to move on. The Jets beat the Dolphins 22-21. First division win of the year, believe it or not. Ugly game. But, you know, and they did it without Jamal Adams, Le'Veon Bell, uh, and yes, it was defensive pass interference on Nick Needham. Uh, the only reason I'm surprised is just that they called it after the replay because the fi- officiating has just been so inconsistent this year. I don't think the coaches know what's going to get called and what won't get called on a, on a play-to-play basis. But anyway, the Jets get the win. A couple of the takeaways here. Let's talk about Sam Darnold. Another Kind of so-so game for him. I give him credit for the comeback at the end uh, after a really not a good third quarter. Uh, A couple of things concern me about the game. The interception was was a poor throw off his back foot. Uh, Gase tried to take the blame for that, but I, I see it as Darnold's fault there. He overthrew some open receivers throughout the game. That jumped out at me. And he also seemed to be hesitant to run on a couple of third and two, third and three type situation. And that's really been an ongoing theme. Uh, I know they're trying to get him to use his legs more. He's a good scrambler. I, I just wonder if that knee has been bothering him a little bit. Maybe that's why he's hesitant to run. It's been showing up on the injury report. He says it's a non-issue. He's also dealing with a left thumb injury for several weeks. I know it bothered him, you know, a few weeks ago was bothering him, you know, to the point where on the read option plays, he was having trouble pulling the ball uh, on the plays to the left because he didn't have enough strength in his thumb. Uh, I don't know if that's whether it's still the case now. I don't find it hard to believe that would be a reason why he's not running that much. But I know they want him to run more. He's got to make a little better decisions on those type of plays. And, hey, this is a tough three-game schedule coming up. They play Baltimore, Pittsburgh, and Buffalo. You're talking about sixth, fifth, and third in total defense. Huge challenge for Darnold. Probably the toughest stretch of games he's played in terms of the uh, caliber of defenses he'll be facing. Uh, interesting matchup on Thursday night. Uh, Darnold versus Lamar Jackson, fellow quarterback from the class of 18. You know, as a side note, going into that draft, I remember asking someone in the Jet organization what they thought of Lamar Jan- uh, Jackson's pro prospects. And the person I asked laughed. Didn't think much at all of his pro pos- prospects. Lamar Jackson is clearly getting the last laugh on the entire league. 
fascinating situation at running back. No Le'Veon Bell on Sunday. Bilal Powell steps in, rushes for 74 yards. That's a season high for a Jet running back this year. Interestingly, first half, 16 runs, 16 passes. Perfect balance. Where was that last week in Cincinnati? Uh, you know, when Le'Veon only got the ball five times. You know, Gase will never admit this publicly, and this is just me speculating, but I think he probably prefers Powell at this point because he's a, just a better fit in this offense. And you could see how he designed running plays that were quick-hitting plays. Bilal getting the ball and getting into the hole quickly. Looked it up on next-gen stats. Bell's, uh, Bilal's time to the line of scrimmage in this game averaged 2.46 seconds. That was the third highest in the league, or the third quickest in the league in week 14. The only two guys who were quicker were Carlos Hyde and Chris Carson. Bell usually averages just under three seconds. So clearly, uh, Bilal getting it to it quicker, I think that takes a little pressure off the offensive line. And so, look, I'm not saying Powell is a better running back than Le'Veon Bell. Come on, I'm not stupid. But when you consider the scheme, the state of the offensive line, I just think he's probably a more efficient runner right now. And don't underestimate the fresh legs factor late in the season. Most running backs are dragging. Bilal comes in with fresh legs. Uh, his status for Thursday, uh, TBD. You know, he did suffer an ankle injury late in the game. Not sure if he'll be back this week. I think Bell will be back. He's been battling the flu, but you have to think he'll be ready to go on Thursday. Although he could be, you know, a stamina could be an issue because this was a serious bout with the flu from what I understand. And just one last thing on the Jet defense in this game. Great job by Greg Williams to hold Miami out of the end zone. Miami ran 19 plays in the red zone that gained only 15 yards. They had to settle for field goals. The Jets did this with three of their top five DBs out of the game. Uh, let's be honest, they did catch a break when Devontae Parker went out with a concussion in the first half. That could have changed things a little bit. They also allowed 65 yards rushing for Ryan Fitzpatrick, which uh, is somewhat of an issue, especially when they're going against Lamar Jackson this week. Lamar Jackson has 1,017 yards rushing, which is more than the entire Jets team. He also has seven touchdowns. This is a massive challenge for Greg Williams. I think he relishes this. He's got a depleted roster going against the number one weapon in football in Lamar Jackson. So how do you stop him? I am not a football expert on this sort of thing, but I would think you're going to see a lot more zone from the Jets because the guy you have to keep eyes on the quarterback. They're going to really miss Jamal Adams if he doesn't play. He would have been the ideal spy for a guy like Jamal, uh, Lamar Jackson. So who would they use as a spy now? Neville Hewitt? James Burgess? I don't see that. They don't have anyone on their defense who can keep up with Lamar Jackson. So maybe they use a combo man-zone. You could play man on the outside with the corners because – Baltimore's wide receivers have been non-factors the last couple of weeks. In fact, they've only, Lamar only 40 yards passing to wide receivers in the last two games. So maybe you go man on the outside and then you zone it up in the middle of the field using some sort of bracket to keep Lamar Jackson in the pocket, but they also run the read option very well. A lot of different ways they use him to get him in space. A massive, massive challenge 
for the Jets. Now, Greg Williams, the old joke is that the second G in his first name, or rather the third G in his first name, stands for genius. Well, he's going to have a chance to prove it on Thursday night on a national stage. And on paper, this looks like a total mismatch. And that's the end of the first quarter. Our guest this week is Jets rookie cornerback, Bless Austin. If you're not familiar with his story, it's a good one. He grew up in New York, went to Rutgers, two ACL injuries derailed his final two seasons. He barely got on the field those two years. Jets take a flyer on him in the sixth round. He's on pup for the entire training camp for the first half of the season. He finally gets activated in week 10, and he's been a fixture in the starting lineup ever since. Let me throw a couple of numbers out at you according to Next Gen Stats. Since week 10, he is the 12th ranked corner in the league. 12th ranked corner based on a minimum of 100 cover snaps. That's based on passer rating allowed. He's only allowed a 67.2 passer rating based on closest defender. That's 14 completions for a 142 yards and no touchdowns allowed. These are really, really good numbers for any player let alone a rookie who just got thrown in there in week 10. It's a real good feel-good story and one of the bright spots of this season for the Jets, Bless Austin. Bless, what have these last few weeks been like for you after sitting out so long with the injuries and now you're in a starting role with the Jets? I mean, it's been amazing, man, you know, to be out here playing football again, for sure. I mean, definitely, definitely fortunate, you know, to be out here, you know, to play football again after such a long time, such a long wait. When you first got out there against the Giants in your first game, was there a moment where it just hit you that, hey, I'm in the NFL now, and this has been a long, tough journey, but I'm here? Um, Not really. I do a good job of just visualizing, you know, situations before I head in them. So I was already kind of visualizing me in the Giants game. So when I got out there, I was just like, I was pretty prepared for it mentally. It was just, it was on me to make something happen, you know, make, make something happen in that time I was out there. What's it like, you know, you grew up in, in the New York area, of course you played at Rutgers, to play for your hometown team, what's that been like? I mean, it's definitely amazing, you know, I mean, they got its pros and cons, of course, but, you know, for the most part, it's more pros than cons, so I'm, I'm definitely enjoying it. I bet you the cons is one of, you get a lot of friends asking for tickets. Yes, sir, that's that's a big con right there, I mean, a lot of friends asking for tickets, I'm talking about teachers from elementary school, you know, hitting me up, talking yeah. about, hey, I want to come to the game, so I just learned how to deal with that. Friends you didn't know you had, right? <laughs> yeah, you know how that go. Yeah, but but it, it is a great story because I know the fans know what you went through, you know, the two ACLs. Was there ever a point during that two-year stretch where you didn't think you'd get this far? Um, not really. I mean, the first time it happened, I was, I was, you know, I was kind of worried because I've never been in a situation before. I never had surgery before the first time it happened. So I was just always thinking, like, dang, I'm going to go from being on a hospital bed to running around full speed, hitting dudes again. So it was just... You know, a little, a little, a little doubt the first time it happened, but the second time, I mean, no question, like, I didn't have any doubt at all. I knew I'd bounce back. And I remember, you know, of course, the Jets draft you in the sixth round, and I remember the day you met us for the first time with the media. You were really confident. Yeah. You know, you came in with that confidence, and you said you wanted to be the best ever at your position. Still feel that way? And where does that confidence come from? I mean, to be the best ever, that's a hard task. One of the best, you know, I'll put a correction, on one of the best for sure. But I mean, most definitely, that's definitely a goal, and that's something that, you know, that, now that my coach, you know, he, he sees that I said that now, so he's definitely doing everything he can to to push me, you know, everything he can. I mean, he putting the pressure on me as well, you know, certain things, the, the little things he don't let me get away with because he know my expectations for myself. 
And if anybody know how to do it, it's definitely him because he's seen a lot of talent, you know, in his years of coaching. And you're, you're getting on-the-job training right now. Uh, what are some of the things that you've learned uh, that you need to improve upon in the offseason? I mean, it's, uh, some technique things, you know, some technique things I need to clean up on. You know, I'm a long, lanky dude, so, you know, just just got to be more, um, what's the word? Just got to be more, you know, technique sound in my yeah. And a lot of the things I do, you know, I can't get away with certain certain things because I'm a taller dude. Yeah. So I just got to be more sharp in certain areas. So when you're growing up in the New York area as a kid, like who were the corners you were admiring, like from afar, some of the pros? Definitely Champ Bailey. You know, yeah. Champ Bailey, I love the way he, he tackled for sure. Yeah. His ball skills was terrific, man. You know, his ability to play the ball in the air, high pointed. You know, that's something that definitely stood out to me always. Uh, another guy, Patrick Peterson, I just loved his athleticism, being able to, you know, punt return, kick return for a little while, and then, you know, play corner press, man, on the best receiver. I mean, a lot of dudes overlook how hard that is. You know, what type of shape you got to be in to do that. You know, the consistency you got to be at to do that. You know, the preparation, a lot of people overlook that. So definitely Pat P and Champ Baby. And, of course, there was a pretty good one here, Darrell Revis. I'm sure I'm yeah. sure you Darrell, Darrell Revis, man, he one of them guys. I can't look at his film, man. He's just an anomaly, man. You know, he's a freak of nature. You know, a guy with that size, that speed, and his strength. Man, that, that's a dude. It's certain dudes that's so good, you don't even look at their film because it's yeah. just like, ah, he yeah. too good. Let me, that ain't the best example. Yeah. So he, he one of them guys, man. He's just too good. Would you say freak of nature in what way? I mean, it's just certain things, man, he can just do it and, and get away with, yeah. you know, that and not everybody could do that. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's speed. He ain't 4'3", dude. You yeah. know, he was about 5'11", 6 feet, and then he, he had the size as well. Yeah. He wasn't the tallest, but he was definitely yeah. he was definitely stout, you know, in yeah. size, and he was strong as well. So when he got hands on dudes, yeah. there was some rerouting going on, a lot of uh, mistimed throws as well, disrupting yeah. routes, you know, the timing of things. Yeah, he kind of revolutionized, like the press yeah. coverage. I mean, well, he, he could I mean, kind of get off the line on him. I mean, I, I feel like he was the last true, besides Stephon Gilmore, you know, he was the most definitely last who shut down corner. I'm talking about dudes holding guys under, you know, four receptions and most definitely under the average, under 50 yards and things like that. You don't see that nowadays with all the passing that's going on in the league. Yeah, that's for sure. The league has changed with all the yeah. rules. So what would you like Jet fans to know about Bless Austin, something they may not know about you that you think is kind of interesting? Um, I like to act. Really? Yeah, I enjoy acting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I enjoy making music. Nobody know that. I'm still testing the waters with that. Yeah. Still seeing, seeing what's my lane and genre and yeah. music. Maybe you could <laughs> check in with Le'Veon with his. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe. But other than that, that's that's really it. Man. I'm, a, I'm a guy. I just be. I go home, play the game. I just play ball. I don't really do yeah. too much. I'm simple, man. And uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you. We have so many listeners who are Rutgers fans. So, what do you think of the Shiano hire? Did, did you know him at all, or, or what do you think of that move for them? Man, I think I think that was a great move that was made without a doubt. Somebody who know the university, somebody who yeah. know how to socialize with the people in the Jersey area, New York area. You know, he he got a great personality. You know how to you know how to talk, have conversation. You know how to you know go in a family room and, and allow the parents to know, like, I got your son, I'm going to take care of him, make sure I make him a better man than he came in as. So I think that was a, a wonderful, terrific hire, without a doubt. So you see brighter days ahead for Rutgers. I know there's been some lean yeah. times here. Yeah. yeah, no doubt. As far as, you know, schematics, you know, character building, you know, for the plays. It's just overall experience, first-class experience for the plays over there. Without a doubt, that was a great move. And welcome back to the third quarter. It's the Twitter mailbag. Bunch of good questions this week and batting in the leadoff spot at the Jet Press. Boomer Esiason flat out accused Jerry Jones of tampering with Jamal Adams and others. Can the Jets file charges or call the league to pursue action? 
This, of course, is a reference to Boomer's explosive comments in last week's edition of The Flight Deck, in which he basically said Jerry Jones was trying to sabotage the Jets' relationship with Jamal Adams during this whole episode of Trade Talks at the deadline. And the answer is no, there won't be any tampering charges. Uh, The Jets will not pursue that. And I can tell you this, though. The one thing that caught the Jets' eye, and I know it caught the league's eye as well, was when the Cowboys' team website posted a story about the team's interest in Jamal Adams at the trading deadline. Now, that's highly unusual for a team to write about a player under contract from another team. And I do know for a fact that the league looked at that and decided it didn't rise to the level of further investigation. So the issue is dead if it was an issue in the first place. The Jets, believe it or not, actually have a good relationship with the Cowboys from their off-the-field dealings. And so I don't think they want to jeopardize that and it's not really worth a tampering issue Uh, a couple of listeners followers wanted to know about robbie anderson's future with the jets matt romano 19 and at lawrence Fodor asked about robbie and i'm going to cover that in the fourth quarter and now uh, going on to the next question at sports underscore fi 3nd with all the trouble with the cleveland browns do you think the browns will reach out to greg williams if they decide to move on from freddie kitchens uh, no, I don't think that will happen. You know, the Browns had their chance to get Greg Williams last year. He did a really good job as the interim coach, and yet they decided to move on. So they passed him over for Freddie Kitchens. They certainly, I don't think, would go back to Greg Williams after passing him over the first time. So no, that won't happen. But the team you might want to watch out for, keep an eye on the Washington Redskins. We know they're going to be hiring a coach in the offseason. They have Bill Callahan as their interim now. And Greg Williams has maintained a relationship over the years with Daniel Snyder, the owner. You know, of course, Williams was a defensive coordinator there several years back. They've remained in touch. And I would not be shocked at all if Greg Williams gets a job interview in Washington. Next question from at Ian Damon 3. What do you think the secondary looks like next season? I hope they extend Jamal. But what about Marcus May? Any chance... Uh, we have this uh, safety duo together for the next five seasons. And is there any cornerback you think worth giving a shot to win a starting job? Well, let's start with uh, Jamal and Marcus May. Marcus has one year left on his contract. I have not heard any talks about an extension to this point. Uh, that could be something they explore in the off season or, or into next season. I th- they really like Marcus May. I think they want to keep him long term. And the same holds true for Jamal Adams. Now, he's under contract through 2021. That includes the team option. And I think this will be an issue in the offseason. His contract will be an issue. I think they want to keep him long term. But again, I'm not going to say that's a done deal just yet because I think there'll be some teams trying to pry him away from the Jets uh, around draft pick with draft compensation. So we'll see how that plays out. But I think Bless Austin at corner certainly has warranted a look as a possible starter for next year. We know Trumaine Johnson's going to be gone. A guy they should keep is going to be a free agent is Brian Poole. I think he's done a really good job as a slot corner. I do believe they are trying to keep him before he gets to the open market. They're going to have to make another acquisition at corner. They just don't have enough there even with Austin and Poole, either free agency or draft, they're going to have to make some sort of significant play there to upgrade that position. Uh, now, the next question from at Dan Schnock. You know, the on-the-field record is terrible. 
and the jury's still out with Gase and Joe Douglas, but has Christopher Johnson, there, but are there any positive uh, from Christopher Johnson's time thus far as the CEO, anything behind the scenes? Uh, yeah, I could tell you that he's done a really good job of fostering relationships with the players. I think that really came to light a couple of years ago during the national anthem controversy. I think he really was receptive to the players' point of view in that. And even to this day, you see him on the sideline for the anthem standing with the players every week. So I think player ownership relations have improved under Chris Johnson as opposed to Woody Johnson. But as you allude to, Dan, you know, about the on the field record, you know, it's 14 and 31 under Christopher Johnson, and we know what Bill Parcells always used to say, you are what your record says you are. Next question, at T underscore Delgado 24, how many of the wide receivers do you, th- you uh, on the roster you think will be back? Well, certainly Jamison Crowder will be back. He's under contract. He's having a good year. Robbie Anderson, we'll get into this in a little bit, but I think he's about 50-50. I do not expect Quincy Anunwa to be back. I think they'll cut him. They have to make that decision quickly in March. He's coming off neck surgery, and uh, I don't think they're going to want to pay that salary, though I think they'll cut him. Demarius Thomas is a free agent. He's up over He's over 30 years old. Uh, they're not going to – I do not see them signing him immediately. He could be like a second or third wave free agent on a one-year contract. So I would not be surprised if he's not back. Vincent Smith is a player who is under contract. He will be back. The Jets like his long-term potential. You saw against Miami on Sunday, more playing time for Vincent Smith. Got uh, a little bit of Demarius Thomas's snaps. So he's a guy who uh, I think has, I like him. I think he's got some potential and I think they want to work with him. So I think that's a guy. Uh, and a guy you haven't heard of, Jeff Smith on the practice squad. He's a uh, undrafted rookie from Boston College. Coaches really like him. I think he'll get a chance next year to crack the rotation. Uh, next, from at Gavin Comedy, what are the chances the Jets keep Le'Veon Bell? Uh, I think, and you saw it on Sunday, I think that was Adam Gase saying to the world that we can have a running game without Le'Veon Bell. And I do think the Jets will be motivated to trade him in the offseason. I, I tend to think he won't be back. I'd say his chances are being back are about 30-70. I mean, it's going to be a tough contract to move, and they're going to have to eat some of it. But uh, I think they just... I think they're just going to want to move on because it's not a great fit. And we've talked about it ad nauseum. And our last question comes, and this is really into the future, but kind of an interesting question from at jtrainer0125. Next year's travel itinerary could rival 2008. What do you think Gase and the organization uh, would want to do to avoid an O for west of the Mississippi? Now, that 2008 reference was when Eric Mangini was the coach. They had four West Coast trips, San Diego, San Francisco, Seattle, and Oakland, and the Jets went 0-4, and, and basically it cost Mangini his job. Now, this year, rather in 2020, they're at L.A. twice at Kansas City, and at Seattle. So you have three West Coast trips plus a Kansas City trip. What can the Jets do? Well, the only thing they can do is you can put requests into the league before they make the schedule. For instance, the Jets can request having two West Coast trips in a row, back-to-back weeks. That way they could stay out there and train for the week before playing the next game. It saves them the travel, the wear and tear, going back and forth. So I think that could be something they explore. Other than that, there really isn't much you could do. You have to suck it up. You know, they're playing 
the Western Division. It's part of the rotating schedule that this, the league has set up. It, you know, it, it's a cycle. This year, the Jets have the fewest amount of air travel miles in the league. Next year, they'll be among the leaders. It's all part of the cycle. And that's the end of the third quarter. Welcome back. And now we're going to look into our free agent crystal ball. Looking at some of the players on the Jets whose contracts are expiring after the season. And going to break down which guys they should bring back, which guys they should let walk. And uh, they have a lot of guys who are going to be UFAs. But to me, there's only three at the top of the list. I put them in the A-list category, and that's Robbie Anderson, Jordan Jenkins, and Brian Poole. Uh, let's start with Robbie. He's come on of late. You know, last three games, he's averaged 101 yards receiving, and he's uh, caught 69% of his targets, which is a great number. Prior to that, only 36 yards receiving per game and only 47% on his catch percentage, which is pretty low for a receiver. So you can see the improvement. The coaches really like the way he's attacking the ball. He's always been known as kind of a finesse receiver. Uh, didn't win many 50-50 balls, but he's been making more contested catches. He's been going over the middle in traffic, and so that's impressing the coaches. Enough to sign him long-term? I honestly don't know right now. I'd say it's 50-50. Remember, this is a player who the Jets were very willing to listen to offers to during the uh, trading deadline talks. If they had gotten an offer they wanted, which I think would have been a third or a fourth rounder, I think they would have moved him. So keep that in mind. So there's obviously some apprehension about signing him long term. This is going to cost at least $11 million a year. And I'm basing that on the Tyrell Williams contract with Oakland last March. Very comparable production over the four years. And so if Tyrell Williams gets $11 million per, you know that Robbie is going to be looking for at least that. The thing that's working in Robbie's favor is that it's not a great market for free agent wide receivers. The best guy out there is Amari Cooper if Dallas happens to let him hit the open market. So Robbie's going to get paid and probably overpaid, as most free agents do. So the Jets are going to have to make a tough call. There is a guy on Cleveland, you may have heard of him, Odell Beckham Jr. He thinks, or at least there was a report over the weekend, that he could be traded in the offseason, that he wants to be out. Should the Jets pursue OBJ? Well, he's a ultra-talented receiver. He's in the prime of his career, and he's got four years, $60 million remaining on his contract. And really, only $14 million of that is fully guaranteed in March. So the deal... It is a pricey deal for a receiver, but $11 million for Robbie Anderson or $15 million a year for OBJ. Me, I'd stay away from OBJ. Uh, there's a pattern of behavior here that would trouble me. You're trying to build a winning culture. The Jets do not need that sideshow. As talented as he is, I just don't think it's worth the aggravation. I would avoid OBJ and either try to sign Anderson or go into the draft, it's a really, really good draft for wide receivers. The guy I'd prioritize for the Jets is Jordan Jenkins. He's got seven sacks. He's a player that keeps getting better each year. He's a tough kid. He's a good locker room guy. He's really the kind of guy that you want to make part of your foundation. I do think the Jets have a strong interest in keeping him. Wouldn't be shocked if that gets done by the end of the year. Again, costly. 
Uh, a comparable guy, Preston Smith, last year, Redskins, goes to the Packers, gets $13 million a year. I don't think Jenkins will come in that high because his numbers don't measure up to Preston Smith. But you got to figure Jordan Jenkins is going to be in the 10 to $12 million a year neighborhood. I think the Jets should do that deal if they can get it done. Another guy they need to get, Brian Poole. He's done a really good job as their slot nickel corner. He, they got him on the cheap this year, a $1 million, uh, one-year deal for $3 million, real, uh, really a bargain. So now they're going to have to pay to keep him. He's a very physical player. He likes to tackle. He's a Greg Williams kind of player. But that's going to cost you about $5, 6000000 million a year. I think they're going to try to get that done as well. Now, after those three, it drops down to a different level. you got guys like Beecham, Lewis, Compton, Miles, Demarius Thomas, Bilal Powell. These are all useful players, but I don't think they're A-list free agents. They're the kind of guys you sign on the second or third wave, or even in some cases, wait till after the draft. Beecham is an interesting guy. I think he's a competent left tackle in the NFL. If the Jets don't draft a left tackle in the first round, it wouldn't shock me if they re-sign Beecham on a short-term deal and keep him as a hold-of-fort type player. So it all depends on what they think they can get in the draft. There's a couple of three pretty good left tackles who will probably go in the top 15 in the draft. So the Jets could have a shot at one of those guys. But don't dismiss Beecham just yet. And, uh, you know, there's others like Hewitt and Copeland. Again, they're B-list, C-list kind of free agents that you really don't have to jump out for right away. But like I said, this comes down to me. Really, Robbie Anderson's the most intriguing guy of all because we've seen the talent. We just don't know if you want to invest long-term in him. He's had some off-the-field issues. None recently, mind you, none recently. Seems to have matured a little bit. But yet he's not really a number one receiver. He's more of a number two. And he's not an all-around player, yet he seems to be developing into that. You have to wonder if this recent stretch is just a salary drive is his attitude going to change when you put a lot of money in his pocket? These are all questions that the Jets have to evaluate. Again, Robbie is the most intriguing storyline. Odell Beckham, it would be a tremendous story, but I really, really do not see Joe Douglas bringing Beckham back to New York into their locker room. That would be asking for trouble. Anyway, that is the end of our Flight Deck podcast for week 15. I want to thank our guest, that is Jet Rookie Corner, bless Austin. Thanks for him for stopping by. I want to thank my producer, Jeff Scopin. And remember to subscribe to Flight Deck. You can find it wherever you find your podcasts. And remember, when in doubt, don't punt. Go for it. 